You're listening to the Simply Instructional Coaching Podcast, a podcast for instructional coaches who want a simple plan with simple steps to get started coaching teachers. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm an elementary teacher turned instructional coach with a little bit of K-12 admin sprinkled in. Tune in for simple tips and strategies for what and how to coach teachers. Being an impactful instructional coach doesn't have to be complicated. Let's make it simple. Hey, hey, coaches. Welcome to the Simply Instructional Coaching Podcast. This is episode four, and I am so excited to talk about creating meaningful professional learning experiences. So this comes really deep from me working with a lot of schools and me working with a lot of instructional coaches who have really just said their PLC time or their professional development time is not as engaging as they would like it to be. They've worked with teachers, talked with teachers. They want to make sure that those teachers become engaged in the learning. And so when I actually have went and observed different professional learning times, whether it's the professional development, the data dives, the walkthroughs, any of those types of things, I've definitely saw some times where we could make some changes and get things engaging. And so one thing that I've always tried to make sure that we've done is I've talked to coaches about creating experiences for their teachers. And so that is kind of some of the same thing that we do when we're in the classroom and we work with students or we are creating an experience of learning for students. So we can create that for teachers. So in this podcast, I have a question for you. Normally I don't ask questions, right? But I do want you to think about this. What is the worst professional learning experience that you've had? Whether it's PLC, a data dive, or meeting Think about what that experience encompassed. Think about what was wrong with it, why it was the worst one that you ever had. Think about that. And if you're not driving and you're actually listening to this, maybe at your desk or somewhere where you have a piece of paper and a pen or pencil, go ahead and write that down. Think about that experience. Tell me exactly or write down exactly what was wrong with that experience and what made it the worst. And in turn, I also want you to then think about the best professional learning experience that you've had. What made it the best experience? Why did you enjoy and love that experience? What was the takeaway from that? So as you think about both of those experiences, the one thing that you have to do as you start to plan your professional learning experiences for teachers is that you need to make sure that you are taking the best of your experiences or things that you have experienced and create a professional learning experience that makes a difference. So one key thing that should happen in that professional learning experience is that teachers should take something away that they should be able to implement right away, okay? That's one of the main things that I always talk with coaches about is when they start to create those professional learning experiences, they need to make sure that they are actually relating (laughs) what it is that you're doing to what it is that is happening in the classroom. Let's dive in and kind of talk about a professional learning experience. Maybe it's a PLC, maybe it's a professional development where teachers are coming in to learn something new, or maybe it's a data dive or a learning walk or whatever learning experience it is. 
Before you can start that learning experience, you want to make sure that you have some type of shared norms, right? You have to create that set of shared norms that all teachers can basically agree upon and follow. So at the beginning of the year, I always sit down and say, hey, what are some of the norms that we have when we come together for PD? Whether that PD is with me leading it or with another teacher, a guest, a consultant, Um, even the principal or administrator, whoever that is, we need to have some type of set of norms that happens. And so we create those together at the beginning of the year. I have sat in some PLCs or some meetings where they are two teachers who are literally (laughs) mad at each other. We're adults, right? We always agree and disagree, but we have to learn how to disagree with what? Respect, right? We want to make sure that we can respect each other's opinions, but try to pull the positive out of each other's opinions or experiences and be able to move on from them. And so that's something that is really important and the reason why we have that shared norms. One thing before or when I start my professional development, if it's just a PDB giving it or if it's a PLC or data dive or something like that, where it's not an activity that where we're leaving the room, I always get teachers to begin by talking about good things. And if you don't know what good things is, let me tell you a little bit about it. So good things is when I share one good thing that's happening in my life personally and one good thing that's happening in my professional life. The reason that I always try to do this is because it shifts the mood and the spirit of the meeting. I had one time where there was a teacher that came into the PLC that we were hosting that day, and I had them to do good things. Well, she was really, really mad and really, really upset, and I could not understand what had happened. This meeting was at 8.05 a.m., y'all, like eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm trying to figure out what could have possibly happened because school started at eight o'clock. Teachers had to be at school at 7.40. So I'm trying to figure out (laughs) what happened from 7.40 to 8.05 that this teacher was sincerely upset. Well, as we got to talk about the good things, I had to pull that good thing out of her for both professional and personal. When we got to personal, she went then on to explain that the dog had pooped inside of the house because she had asked her husband to take the dog out before she left for school. And he didn't. And so she had to take him out. And then she had to clean up the cage. And she was furious. When I tell you that she was furious, she was furious and hot. And I was thinking to myself, OMG, many of our students come to this. You know, we always say, well, they don't know how to separate school from home. They come in really mad because of something that their mom said, something that their grandmother said, something that happened that morning. But we don't really realize that that happens with our teachers as well. We as adults sometimes bring in those same emotions and we don't necessarily know how to master or deal with those emotions. And they end up coming out in a professional learning opportunity where that teacher is still focused on something that was happening at home or something that happened prior to. It was a great experience for me to be able to talk with her about her positive things. She did share what was stressed, but she was able to release it. And then she was able to share her positive thing with us. And then we were able to move on and it really changed the entire POC that day. And so I challenge you to start all of your POCs, your data dives, any of your meetings where you get to talk about a little bit of good things. 
We could call them gratitude moments, but good things always works. And I did it when I was had my students in the classroom as well. In the mornings, we would have certain people to share out good things that were happening. And it really does change the mood of what's happening in the classroom and in our meeting. All right, so here's the second thing that I want to talk about. You need to build a culture that supports collaboration in the building. When you are doing your professional learning opportunities, you want these opportunities to create a culture of coaching in the building where it allows teachers and staff to feel that they have some type of ownership in the decision-making, in the goal development, and in tracking and assessments. Like what it is that they do, they want to have some ownership in that. When you get teachers completely bought in into whatever it is that they're doing, then they don't really complain. It's when you throw things at them and they don't truly understand what it is that they need to do, then that's when there's a little bit of friction and and some type of pushback. I've also learned this with my students because I feel as though sometimes my teachers are my students, right? I try to create that opportunity for them inside of my PD. So I'm gonna tell you about a thing that I do and it's called small groups. I did small groups when I was an assistant principal, and I also did small groups when I was a dean of students, and I was the lead coordinator for the ELA department within my building. So let me explain a little bit about what small groups are. So small groups is when I divide teachers up into small groups, and I get them to work collaboratively on a goal that we created. Okay, so we all do school improvement goals at the beginning of the year. We do those school improvement, that whole school improvement plan, and we do all of these goals and we create this little team of people who all get it created by September, whatever day, and then we have to turn it in downtown and then downtown turns it into the Department of Education. And guess what happens to that school improvement plan? Most of the time, no one ever picks it back up. What it is that we can do is, or what we did, was that we pulled that school improvement plan out and we shared it during a staff meeting with our entire staff. Teachers, support staff, everyone. Everyone got to see what our goals were for that year and what we were actually going to be working towards. And so when we looked at that, we then all decided these are our two or three big goals. Because normally what? There is a behavior goal, some type of diversity goal, some type of ELA, some type of math. Those are normally the goals. I mean, there are schools that probably have several different types of goals, but those are normally the norm, normal goals that go across the board. Together as a school, we all got to decide which one we were going to really go hard on, right? Which one were we going to focus really on? And so when we decided that, just for instance, we decided on a math goal, So when we decided to do that math goal, then we looked at our curriculum, we looked at our instructional strategies, and what is it that we were going to implement across the board? That decision was done together with our teachers. So we were able to pull some of the best of the best instructional strategies that teachers were already implementing. Some were implementing, some were not. We also made sure that these instructional strategies that we were going to focus on for the year were impactful strategies. So we wanted to make sure that these strategies were going to actually make some type of change. And so once we decided on what instructional strategies we were going to implement, we then created a rubric, a walkthrough rubric that aligned to the implementation of that strategy. And so what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like when you walk into that classroom when that teacher is implementing that instructional strategy? 
Because of that, we then were able to then talk about that rubric. After we created that rubric, I then was able to assign teachers small groups. I did not assign teachers with their friends. (laughs) Good sometimes. It it happens where it works. When I did it in the elementary school, we did K-1, 2, 3, 4, 5. When I worked in the high schools, we did it more so on creating small groups that cross-reference like maybe ELA and social studies, math and science. And then we kind of pull together some of those specials or those groups of teachers that maybe only one teacher, if we only had like one band teacher or if we only had one gym teacher or so on, we pulled them into those groups as well. This was a whole school thing, not just a, oh, this is an ELA thing or, oh, this is a math thing. But definitely we pulled in everyone into these small groups. Here's where it all, <laughs> where it all happened. Every single quarter, teachers had to observe every person in their group. So if there was a team of 10, then you had to observe nine additional teachers. And so during that particular nine weeks, we gave two staff meetings to us being able to have conversations around what was happening in those classrooms, what was being seen in that, what utilizing that rubric that we all created together. So teachers were having conversations with each other about what was happening in their classrooms in reference to this one specific goal. So everything was all related to how we could move the needle in this one goal. So that's where all of our conversations. In some of those conversations, things were coming up about where you taught it this way, I taught it that way, someone else taught it a different way. It worked for me. It didn't work for me. Tell me what worked for you. And so now I can take that, build it and put it into my toolkit. And now I can implement it in a different way. So it was very powerful for teachers to be able to share those strategies and implementation ways with the same students, right? The same type of students, the same culture in the building, but it was working in one class and not in the other. And so you were able to really focus in on helping the teacher to grow and to build their toolkit of strategies to implement that strategy or ways to implement that particular strategy. Hey coaches, I have a few questions for you. Are you struggling to get coaching cycles completed? Are you still trying to figure out what to coach? Are you confused about how to coach teachers? If you raised your hand and said yes to any of these questions, I want to invite you to join me and more than 100 instructional coaches inside the Simply Coaching Hub. The Simply Coaching Hub is a professional development, resource, and community hub that will provide you with practical, relatable, and actionable professional development for new and seasoned instructional coaches. The hub is specifically for instructional coaches created by me and instructional coach. In the hub, we focus on providing specific pathways that meet you where you are in your coaching journey. Differentiation is important when we work with students and even when we coach teachers. Shouldn't it be important when it comes to your growth as a coach too? Absolutely. And that's why when you join the hub, you will be prescribed a coaching pathway that will address your specific needs. The hub also provides a simple framework for you to implement right away. It's time you start coaching with confidence. And most importantly, the hub is a community. With over 100 instructional coaches from all over the world, 
you will connect with someone who can support you through any situation you may be dealing with. And the best part is you have a coach walking side by side to support you in your journey. It's time to elevate your instructional coaching with the Simply Coaching Hub. Check out www.simplycoachinghub.com to learn more. I will see you in the hub. After that, I always had a team lead for each one of those teams. The team lead met with me. I did not meet with the entire teacher team. I met with the team lead. The team lead then submitted or spoke with me about the different uh, things that they all found in common. So we need help with this. We need help with this. We need help with that. Like they broke down everything that they felt that they their group said we needed professional development on or we needed some type of professional learning on. And that was beautiful for me because now if I have four teams or six teams or 10 teams, right, I was able to pull all of that data together and I was able to then see the themes across the board from the whole entire building and say, okay, let's build out second quarter's professional learning or professional development around these topics. Because this is what teachers said that they needed in this building based on the rubric that they created. So do you see how they have ownership in that creation of not only just the goal, making the decision or the instructional strategy, but also they gave you what it is that they needed to get better. And so now when they showed up to PD for me, it wasn't a drag. It wasn't a, oh, Nicole is finna give another PD that could have been an email, right? They were enthusiastic about the topics that they were coming to learn because it was something that they actually told us that that's what they wanted. And because their peers was watching what they were doing and they were giving feedback to each other, then they were able to really get into it. And it really made a difference and a change in the building culture, but it also made a difference and a change in student learning that we were able to move some needles that year that probably wouldn't have been moved because we would have been disjointed. But really getting to build that culture and having teachers on the same page and all moving in the same direction to that same goal was really, really powerful. So I really challenge you to create something like that in your building. The next thing that I want to talk to you about is to foster an atmosphere of trust. This is something that is super important for me. Providing opportunities for teachers to feel non-judged, but for them to grow. To establish the culture where, you know, teachers and educators can feel open. Like they can really discuss the things that they don't know. And then they can discuss things that they love. They can share all the great things that are happening in their room. I also love to provide peer observations and feedback. So we just talked about small groups, but I have another example of something that I do in my professional development time with my teachers. If we are working, going back to that math goal, right? If we're working on a particular math goal and I have teachers to create their end of chapter assessment or end of unit assessment, whatever assessment that they are going to utilize. So they would have already created that assessment. They're going to give it to their students. And then I am going to ask them for their highest student's test and then their lowest student's test. And we're just going to photocopy those. And I am going to take 
Each of those photocopies saves about two pages or three pages, but I'm going to photocopy them, the one that was the best in their class and the one that was the lowest in their class. And I'm going to tape those up on a wall. And next to each one of those assessments, I am going to put a big post-it note up there along with a marker. And so when teachers come in for the PD, the first thing that I am going to have them to do is to look at those assessments and they are going to write ways in which they could grow this student. So how would they reteach it? How would they grow the student or where they would take the students who has mastered the content? And then how would they reteach it based on the student who has not mastered the content? What does that look like for them? Now they get to go from one, two, three, four, five, you know, as many of as 10 different papers. We spent a good amount of 15, 20 minutes really, really putting forth an effort to writing some feedback about the assessments that we see. From that point, we're then able to then discuss it. So I will then start to discuss this out loud. We'll talk about them. We'll have people to explain it. They'll say, hey, that was my comment. This is what I meant. And kind of explain that. One, the teachers don't know who the students are because I've blocked out the names. And the teachers only know their own work. They don't know who came from what other teacher. And so now when we're sharing that out, it's something that they don't feel attacked by. Because it's just them sharing the information. It's not like, well, I don't like Ms. Johnson or I don't like Mr. Jones, so I'm going to attack Mr. Jones. Actually, they don't know what students are whose or what papers belong to what teachers until the end. So now that we have shared all of that out, we talk about next steps. So then teachers then start to identify and say, hey, those are my two students. This is what I take from this session, and this is what I'm going to implement next. And so that's very powerful because they're now leaving that POC and they are directly (laughs) implementing a strategy or something that they learned in that professional learning or professional development opportunity right then. And so now that's a way that we are giving peer feedback, right? We're giving peer observations. We're creating that culture. They can discuss the work. They can discuss why they taught it this way or what they didn't teach it that way or different things like that. Also, when that teacher leaves, it's super powerful because they have a ton of examples and thoughts and things that they can put in place right away within their building. All right. So the another thing I'm going to talk about is to provide some type of structure and guidance for your PD time. Sometimes we call it PLCs or PD. It kind of just depends on what your building calls it. But I have five questions that I like to structure my time with teachers around. They are a little bit different from before, kind of on the same path though, but I kind of just created these a long, long time ago. I have no idea when I did this, (laughs) but I'm going to share it with you because this is what I do when I come into a school. If I'm working with some instructional coaches, I'm going to say, hey, these are the five questions that you really need to ask teachers as you guys are discussing that work. So we want to always know where we are going. Where are we going? What is the goal? That is the repeat of that school improvement goal that we are all focused on. Where are we now? So now we're looking at what data we have currently and what that looks like and how far are we away from where we're supposed to be going. And then we need to identify how do we move learning forward? What strategies are we going to use? Remember, we talked about how we can adjust any of that. Like anything that has to be adjusted, then we utilize that. How do we move learning forward? 
What strategy am I going to use in the classroom? Do I need to talk to parents? How am I going to change the climate and culture of my room? If I go back to the Simple Core 4, you know, we can look to see what areas each teacher is in or what pillar each teacher is in and how we can move them through those pillars. So what did we learn today in this professional learning opportunity? Just like when we go back, if I go back to the example of us with the big post-it notes, you know, the end question is, what did we learn today? And then everyone will kind of share out what they learned based on what they can like implement. How do we move forward? Learning forward, that's that implementation piece. And then the final one is which students benefit and which students don't. There are so many times that we focus specifically on our bubble kids or we focus on our very low students. And a lot of times our higher students or our higher achieving students, they get caught in a mix. And this is not everyone, but I'm saying as a general thing of experiences that I've had, most times when I have conversations with principals, coaches, teachers, we're always focused on those bubble kids right in the middle. And we're always focused on those low achieving students. So how do we move all of our students every 30, 40, 50, (laughs) however many students that you have, how do you move all of those students forward? Which students benefit from this instructional strategies and which students don't? Will my special education students benefit from utilizing this instructional strategies? And if they will not, then what can I do for them? How can I adjust it so that they do benefit? So when we look at that question, we're looking at it holistically in so many different ways. So if I'm changing my classroom around, if I'm changing the logistics of my classroom, if I'm changing the seating chart of my classroom, which students benefit and which students don't? If I'm creating an assessment and I get that assessment back and I'm doing some reteaching and I'm doing some small groups, which students benefit and which students don't? So you want to always keep that in your mind. And then once you identify those students that are benefiting and then what students are not benefiting, how are you going to make the adjustment so that all students would benefit for that? And the last thing I think that we all should focus on is results, right? (laughs) Because that's normally what we're happening. So those results can definitely be building that climate and culture in the building, setting teachers up for success, setting students up for success. And we could do all of that by really just identifying some instructional strategies or really analyzing our student achievement, looking at that data, making sure that we kind of see the types of assessments that we're giving, where we're looking at the different types of questions that we're giving. All of that should happen in your professional development, your professional learning experience. You want to always have that question and always come back around to student learning through the desired student outcomes. So what is that student outcome that we're trying to get to? What is that goal? And then how does this relate to that? And how does the data support us doing this professional development? I always like to share that with teachers because I don't want them to think that they're just showing up at this PLC or they're just showing up at this PD and it's like, whatever, (laughs) why am I here? Well, let me explain to you why you're here. That is one focus that I always try to go back to as to what the data says specifically on that. So I hope in this mini professional development podcast (laughs) that you really take some time to think about the professional learning experiences that you are providing with your teachers. Think about those worst experiences that you had and try to make the shift to those best experiences that you have. 
And I hope that you implement this and that you share this with others and that you make sure that you find me in the Simply Instructional Coaching group inside of Facebook or anywhere else. Email me at support at simplycoachingandteaching.com just so that I can see and learn and know your stories. You can also tag me on Instagram at simplycoachingandteaching underscore or on Twitter. Tell me your stories. I want to hear about your stories on Twitter. You can tag me at Coach and Teach. I will see you guys in the next episode. Happy coaching, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Simply Instructional Coaching Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with other coaches and teacher leaders, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at simplycoachingandteaching underscore and on Twitter at coachandteach. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.